2: for free shipping and
0: 365-day returns.
4: Not Flash, just podcasts. Strike up the band!
2: Mushy peas for
0: guacamole. I mean, you know, as if me. I'm not an actuary, so, and they're both very old, so who knows.
3: I mean, that's just arrogant nonsense, isn't it? Stop talking about it, David! <laughs>
4: Yeah, here we are again then. It's how to win an election. Your insider's guide to a big, big political year ahead. I'm Matt, Charlie, joined us ever by new Labour mastermind Peter Madison, Policy McKenzie, formerly Nick Clegg's brain, and Tory brain box Daniel Finkstein. How are we all? Very well, thanks, Matt.
3: I've actually Very had good. some feedback on that from a, a former senior civil servant. He says he does not believe that anybody's ever called me Policy McKenzie. Really? And I would like to say that they have, but not like as an... Active nickname, yeah. more as a sort of slip of the tongue. Right. just getting confused, trying to talk about policy with a person called Policy. I think we need to lean Little. into it though. Oh yeah, absolutely. Do you find
2: people I, are now I'll coming up to you in the street and saying "Hi, Policy"? Uh, all the
3: Since time. This podcast started all, all, all the all the time. Yeah, it's, it's fame. It's it's tricky. I'm having to wear baseball caps and so. Yeah, we'll lean into Policy, Mackenzie.
2: Yeah, yeah. I actually did get stopped on the tube last week by did somebody you? who said, "You not me?
4: got your ticket? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> love the podcast. Oh, love the podcast." Great, so One, one,
2: one first person. person. That's we, one. Person. Take that. We <laughs> also that, that, that's, that qualifies for a full focus group.
3: We also have at least one listener in Luxembourg. Great, uh, my friend Lucy. Yeah. She listens whilst unloading the dishwasher. Oh, for forty-five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> How many plates has she got? It's possible
4: she does some Daddy, other chores. Daddy, as well. have you I ever met know. a listener?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I've, I've met many actually because I've been because I I've, I've been going around doing the book. Um, my. My book and talking to various groups, people come up afterwards, and lots of them have listened to the podcast. Have been very encouraged. I Good.
4: Think. Well, if you if you if you're a listener, get in touch. You can email us how to win at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, if you want to send us a question, uh, we'll do some of your questions a bit later on. Uh, if you want to attach a voice note to your question, that would be even better, because we can hear your voice on the podcast then. how to win at thetimes.co.uk. Uh, and we'll do some of those a bit later on. Now, um, uh, we're going to talk about how to split the vote in a minute and where the Tory vote's going, where the Labour vote might go. And we've got some polling to show how people would vote if the Tories and the Labour Party didn't exist. But first, it's 100 days until the local elections on May the 2nd. Local elections are councillors and mayors in England, London mayor, police and crime commissioners um, do they matter? I mean they obviously matter locally as to who 's running your town hall Danny as part of your ongoing campaign to say that nothing makes any difference to the elections um, <laughs> Do the local elections make any difference? Look, I think I think you know um, being being a Bayesian,
0: uh, new pieces of information move my view, so the discussion we had last week I think. But both Polly and Peter were... What's a Bayesian? We all are to be confused then. <laughs> It's about probability theory oh, okay. where you start. Oh, so yeah, so taking so into is, account yes. new pieces of information. So Polly and Peter made the correct point that actually these um, these events, big political events, let's take, for example, the Eastbourne by-election in Margaret Thatcher's premiership. That was a contributory factor to... Her defeat and naturally her being her internal defeat and her being removed as prime minister then made a difference to the next general election. So as there, was so,
2: Midstaff's and Bell of Morgan.
0: So I I don't believe they influence the top line. In other words, I don't think that voters are paying attention or or, or that their, their votes shifted by the event. But they do shift events in politics. So I think I would adjust, you know, my sort of general view that the that 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 lots of these things are noise rather than signal. They
4: do have. Um, in effect. Sorry. And there's also just a, a practical point, isn't it, Polly, that if the Tories lose lots of councillors, they're less likely to be enthusiastically going out and knocking on doors and leafleting come the general election. There's a sort of foot soldiers problem.
3: A massive foot soldiers problem. I and mean, most councillors, uh, except for parish councillors, get paid. and And so they may actually be short of an income. I mean, lots of them are retired, but nevertheless, they might actively have to be working somewhere else, as well as the lack of morale and enthusiasm that they might Experience for having, uh, you know, lost lost a position. Uh, potentially, they might have to be, you know, renegotiating the leadership of the council. So, so both morale and practical, you know, I guess doorstep hours are going to be really reduced by a, a big reduction in the number of councillors.
2: Third factor, in addition to morale and momentum, is the authority of the prime minister. You know, if they feel he's not a winner. Uh, then, you know, his authority further subsides and everything is made much more difficult. People are much more prepared to sort of speak up against him, create waves, create problems, not fall into line. And I think that will be the story of the rest of the year if uh, Sunak, as he has indicated, he might go for an autumn election.
4: I mean, I suppose the the counter-argument is Tony Blair used to lose thousands of councillors, uh, dozens of councils in between general elections, and then would come back and win general elections. So, it so they're seems not a bit, direct... You, it you know, seems, even yeah. William Hague used to make big games. It just
0: seems to me a bit surprising that people wait for local election results or by-election results to tell them distorted... Um, to give them distorted information about what the opinion polls are already telling them. I, I just, that, I, I understand that it does happen. I can see it with my own eyes. It does happen. Uh, these things have an impact. They have an impact on morale. And obviously, if you lose a lot of councillors, a lot of people in the party, for example, have lost their seats and they've got to blame it on someone else. So they blame it on the National Party and the local MPs get spooked. But it seems, you know, if if the Tory party learnt... From the local elections, that it wasn't doing very well. Why on earth would it wait until I can tell them that now? Um, and and um, it's obvious from these huge polls, um, and we know it also from just talking to anyone in the street. So uh, it's just surprising to me that these effects, these have these effects, but they they clearly do.
4: Uh,
3: the other example, though, is twenty seventeen, where actually Theresa May did really well in the local yeah. elections, and then, uh, again because people are a bit weird and irrational. Um, Actually, that led to a certain amount of complacency, I think, going into the actual Mm. general election. Because they were about
4: a month apart when they were May and then June. uh, Yeah, which is
3: really unusual. And and one thing Theresa May did in that short campaign was announce uh, what I thought was a very good, brave policy, but... Uh, targeted to alienate uh, old people, her core vote, which was to change the rules for domiciliary care, also known as a uh, death tax or a care tax. Um, and and sh- I think she did that. I think lots of the motivation for doing that was, was it we need to get a mandate for doing the difficult decisions once we've won well, and it's safe. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. safe had, to say the difficult things. She thought things.
2: she had such a huge electoral cushion yeah, that she could get away with doing something brave yeah. uh, as Polly says uh, uh, like like that and uh, look, the main problem with that election as we all know is that she called it and then sort of barely turned up for it.
0: She this theory doesn't it fit it. the data. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it that's doesn't. That's it what doesn't. Danny always says uh, well when, we, do- when I, we talk you know, about two things. I'm so sorry that I insist that it fits the data but it does fit the data the conservative vote went up she scored more votes yeah. than almost anyone else has scored what happened in that election was that the opposition vote solidified yeah. behind labor so this was about um and you've said it you've said you said you think it. It,
2: a was major a re- it was a rerun of the brexit yes. vote the year before it wasn't
0: i think i think the uh, dementia tax immensely consequential and i and i agree with you know polly 's idea that it didn't didn 't land it landed was landed very badly but it 's not an explanation of the result it doesn 't explain the data that the Conservative Party did in fact do better um, it 's just that labor did better than everyone mm-hmm. thought because i, I think you 're right, Peter. I think the European referendum was a large part of it, and the liberal Democrats falling back during this campaign and not being as they had been at the beginning. They people thought of them as the kind of repository of an opposition vote, and it didn't. That didn't happen.
3: I just want to dispute with Danny one more time, yes. in that <laughs> perhaps it's too simplistic to say, "Oh, she annoyed really old people," but um, the reason Boris Johnson was able to win in twenty nineteen is that he has one clear, simple message, which is get Brexit done. That's what Theresa May tried to do, and then she... was also she,
2: facing Jeremy Corbyn, who by that time, the penny had dropped in, mm. in, in the minds of many voters, the, and they weren't going to have the point,
3: moving on to, oh, as well as getting Brexit done, I also want to do a whole range of difficult things, and let's have a sort of operational plan for different parts of the state. That that takes you away from a core focus on, I need a mandate to get Brexit done, which, which is what she originally called the election mm. for. She came back from her walking tour with a vision of running an election that told that story, and then she got complacent and started to tell multiple stories. And I think that does harm the barely, election
2: she campaign. She barely told any But stories. her vote went up. There not, was hardly sorry, a vote. Sorry, but her vote went
0: up. A vote uh, to, go, uh, to go. And this is important in the splits, uh, oh, an yeah, issue yeah. that you want to discuss, Matt, because what happened in this election was the opposition solidified. Now, it could be that that, that Theresa May ran a campaign. This, would, or I would argue, was a big failing of the Conservative campaign in 2017. It... It did solidify the campaign. Now, one aspect of that could be people didn't feel strongly enough about the Tory narrative, that they were desperate, you know, not to, not to defeat it, so it was all right, you know, an, an opposition force could be created, or people felt antagonistic to the Tories, so they solidified around the one force that could defeat it. Those those are failings of the Tory campaign. But it but is not an explanation of the Tory election result, that Theresa May failed to Get across to people because although undoubtedly that's true from focus groups, it didn't affect the bottom line, no. so
4: it's not an explanation of the result. One of the things we'll come to the uh, how votes uh, split in a moment. The other thing I want to talk about because it's, it's a sort of new thing that's happened since we last spoke is that Keir Starmer has been given permission to start the access talks, which is where the opposition could start talking to. Uh, the party government about what they would do when they get into government. I just want... Presumably you've all been involved in in these things. Peter, you must Some have Some more than others. <laughs> yeah. You have. I haven't been.
2: Just sort of rubbing it in there with my two colleagues. Yeah. Uh, no, I was involved <laughs> uh, being, I was involved... One-upmanship. Yeah. Um... Uh, I wear my access talks sort of medal in you know, a <laughs> uh, No, it was a bit before 97.
4: Before obviously. 97.
2: But the the point about the access uh, talks is that they, you know, they fire the starting gun for the election. We know it's coming, it's election year. This is why Rishi Sunak was sort of reluctant uh, to see this happen because You know, the moment the opposition starts talking to the civil service about what they were doing in government, that sends a signal to the public
4: that actually change is possible.
2: And 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 how much
4: do you share? Because obviously there's a risk that it could leak.
2: It tends not to leak. I mean, the talks are very confidential. I mean, look, to begin with, the talks will consist of Keir Starmer and his colleagues explaining to the civil service how they want to manage Mm. a mission-driven Government. So, what Starmer wants to do is identify sort of five key priorities that bridge across different departments. For example, economic growth is the central one, rebuilding the NHS, getting the NHS back on its feet is uh, the second, expanding educational opportunities, fighting crimes in local communities, and the net zero uh, goal. Now, those are sort of five um, sort of properly, fully badged missions, and he wants the whole of government sort of reconfigured to get behind those uh, uh, missions. And that requires a lot of cross-departmental work. It will be quite a challenge, in my view, for the Cabinet Secretary and the Cabinet Office to make sure that government works in a different way to deliver those uh, missions. And the second thing Starmer, I guess, will be doing is saying, look, you know, the central thing is economic growth. Without that... Mm you know, nothing else is possible, I want a plan from you. I want to know from you how you think, what you think we need to do, should we be elected, uh, that will lift the country up out of the sort of stagnation that we've been sort of going through, wallowing in for so many years. Uh, and I want to discuss with you a clear plan for doing that. And those are the two sort of pillars, I would say, that right.
4: initially on which the talks will rest. Polly, did you do any before 2010? Given the polls were close and there was at least the possibility, of
3: access talks. Yeah. I was, I, I supported the coalition talks, but not the uh, access talks that preceded it. I mean, they they were not extensive. The Conservatives had done, for obvious reasons, some really extensive planning. You know, month by month. Uh, operational plans which they had shared with the civil service and then had a whole kind of uh, a plan for the governing infrastructure around the changes to the strategy unit the prime minister's delivery unit mostly abolishing things that we shouldn't have abolished but (laughs) but it it is interesting you know the way peter's talking about how do you change the machinery of government in order to operationalize a different kind of politics in a different kind of agenda i don't mean just like changing the names of the department and moving a little team from here to there but trying to think about um, so the the sort of the the blair brown era is characterized by this idea of new public management theory around targets and delivery mechanisms i think the new thinking you're seeing in labor after the conservatives sort of dismantled that without really a a plan for what would come next. So that's part of what's going on in our public services. I think Labour exploring a, a different kind of model that's much more influenced by mission thinking and design thinking. Uh, so I think that uh, a sensible cabinet secretary, sensible uh, heads of the policy profession, uh, will be talking to Camden Council, Georgia Gould, who is quite close to Keir Starmer, and they are pioneering a different model both of policy development and delivery. And that's the area which I think it will take the civil service a, a real big, big mental leaps as well as organisational leaps to be able to live up to what the uh, the new party wants. So, but you're not involved in any in 2001?
0: No. Um, but, uh, be- well, because... Um, that was took place with someone else. I wasn't doing it. Oh, so, but, the, uh, so, so there would
4: have been. The, there was. The there was. But happen. you know,
0: I think <laughs> no, they take they take the very a very, they take. I mean, interestingly, <laughs> they take varying degrees of seriousness <laughs> yeah, yeah, depending yeah, yeah. on the how polls, seriously people yeah. take the prospect. And it didn't loom very large either for us as a team, or for the gut, <laughs> or you know, or for the civil service. a time. And Why, b- Danny? By, Why, by the way, um, on the issue of whether or not you know, the government should start it early and should delay it in because it's, you know, harmful of the credibility. I mean, this will, you know, the, the starting of the access talks will devastate the Conservative credibility all the way from Whitehall to Victoria Station. <laughs> uh, no, Nobody else beyond that... Is that another really? thing which so, won't make any difference? Yeah, completely not. And and what it does... But, but it's very, very important for, um, for future government. So I'm all in favour. I, I actually think there are also mechanisms in place for the opposition all the way through a parliament and um it should be much more extensive it should start much earlier i don't think it has i don't think any government has anything to fear from it because it's not one of those things that moves the bottom line and it may lead them to govern better in circumstances exactly in which they got into office. what
2: i did in 2009 10 I invented my own access talks and I had, six months before the election, regular private meetings with my shadow as business secretary, Kenneth Clark. And so important was it, in my view, that there be sort of continuity from what I was doing on the sort of economic and industrial front and all the things that I was doing, the initiatives, the industrial activism, all the other things I was doing. Um, So important was the continuity from one government to another that I agreed to meet Ken Clark every month, in my room in the House of Lords, privately to take through, take him through what I was doing and why, and try and enlist his uh, support, so that would, you know, go over into the election uh, should they become in the unlikely event of the Conservatives uh, uh, replacing us in government and that I did very successfully. There's only one thing uh, he demurred over, it doesn't matter what that was, it was actually to do with Royal Mail but the rest he signed up to. But then lo and behold...
3: (laughs) Vince Cable!
2: Vince Cable arrived with whom I'd had no discussion, (laughs) who who initially did all sorts of rather stupid things, um, including abolishing the regional development agencies which they subsequently regretted. Back. which they regretted subsequently. That was a Steve Hilton initiative, um, no, uh, the West, the and and that one. Uh, vi- agreed yeah. to by Vince Cable. And Eric so, and, and, and Nick Clegg. So, but, so it's a so, problem so, then. So it's a, a problem. Would, it was an innovation and it was only possible oh. to do that because of the relationship I had with Cable. But then can I ask Polly about Secretary, that? Justice Secretary,
4: then obviously went in not knowing anything about that. Yeah, so of, can I just ask Polly about that? So
0: were the Liberal Democrats involved in talks in government with a view to the possible involvement in a coalition, or was it sort of one of those talks in case they took over government?
3: Uh, No, I mean, the intention was to help us and the civil service to prepare for if there was a coalition. But a bit like 2001, but, you know, smaller. The the extent to which that was really being planned for on either side was extremely limited. You know, the, the, in fact, as I understand it, um, Gus O'Donnell had done a series of sort of war games planning out what would happen in the event of a hung parliament, and they had concluded that the only thing that was impossible was a uh, Lib Dem Tory coalition. <laughs> so, um so they were not really expecting us, uh, though they did a bang up job of being nice to us. Uh, yeah.
4: Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll get into how to do a coalition. Although it seems at the moment, if you look yeah. at the polls, unlikely. But we'll do that on, on another week. Let's. Uh, up next, we're going to talk about. Uh, where the vote is splitting, where's the Tory vote going? You know, it was going all over the place. As part of the problem, uh, will reform split the Tory vote? Could Jeremy Corbyn split the Labour vote? We'll do that next on how to win an election. Good to have you with us. It's How to Win Election with me, Matt Chorley, joined by Peter Manson, Polly McKenzie, and Daniel Finkelstein. Right, uh, this week I want to talk about where the vote splits and uh, how you stop your vote splitting. Um, obviously, you know, if you look at the headline polls, uh, you've got about 20% of the Tory voters from 2019 saying that they go to reform, uh, and then you've got almost as many saying they're going to Labour, there's some breaking off to the Lib Dems and so on. But we asked you, to do some polling uh, for how to win election, asking if the Labour Party and the Tories didn't exist, if they weren't standing, how would you vote? And we took out the don't knows and the wouldn't votes. The Lib Dems win with thirty-four percent. The Greens are on twenty-five percent. Reform were on twenty-two percent. Any independent is on eight. The SNP on five. UKIP five. Plaid two, and some other party on two percent. But what was interesting, I thought. Uh, was the way that the Labour vote almost all goes to uh, uh, splits to the Lib Dems and the Greens, whereas the Tories just goes all over the place. 18% go Lib Dem, 20% go Reform, 9% UK, it's sort of all scattered over the place. <laughs> the bit that amused me was of the current Lib Dem voters, if Labour and the Tories don't exist, only 86% of Lib Dem voters stick with the Lib Dems, <laughs> even though... They're still an option on the ballot paper. Although somebody got in touch and pointed out, well, actually, maybe that's because Lib Dems are often the receptacles of... Uh, wants to keep the Tories or the Labour out. They're an anti-vote. Yes. So if they don't exist anymore, then they can have another view. So what should... Danny, what should... Well, What should Rishi Sinat do? Because basically his vote, they're only hanging on to about half of the 2019 you cannot. You can't
0: see political parties as static. Obviously, it depends whether uh, the political parties exist. Uh, and if they didn't, you, you those parties would move uh, to reflect the fact that there was an advantage. If there was no Conservative Party, for example, reform wouldn't remain exactly as it is. Um, it would either... Um, if it did, if it did, and this is really interesting in your poll, it's pretty limited as a political force. In other words, uh, that section of the right is substantial. It makes it hard for the for a Conservative government to govern, but it isn't big enough to govern by itself. If the Conservative Party didn't exist, uh, they they still would get twenty two percent. The Conservative Party has a choice in in twenty fifteen. David Cameron moved in order to. Um, allow you know it allowed ukip to still score above 10 percent a point at which most people thought the conservative body could not win a majority and he won one anyway because he moved into the center and took votes from the liberal democrats um so it's a, it you can't look at these in a static way if these other parties didn't exist people would move the parties would move the liberal democrats move you know because they know what their political opportunity is in the seats that they're fighting, um, and the Labour Party's moving because it lost the last general election. So um, these, these splits are not—you yeah, yeah. can't look at them in a static way. So what way. should
4: Rishi Sunak do about reforming Nigel Farage? Should it, he flirt with? Them? I mean, all this stuff about inviting him to be an MP or not, or
0: my view is that my view is that the demographic represented. With, with, with reform at its core, the demographics and the uh, politics that it is involved is limiting to the Conservative Party. If the Conservative Party wants occasional power, when the Labour Party drops it, they want the Labour Party to be natural party of government, they want to reverse um, the process that Baldwin set in, in motion in the, a century ago, because uh, Monday was a century of the first Labour government. This was pretty deliberate of Baldwin. He wanted a Labour versus Tory uh, split with the Tory party being the national party. Uh, if, the, if, the Labour, if the Tory party wants to become what the Labour party has been, limited by its demographic associated with an ideology that's very difficult to govern with it can and then it'll do as Labour has done in the last century govern occasionally and then find that it doesn't govern for very long and the Tory party um that you know the, the 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 other party will take over so it'll it'll reverse what Baldwin did Labour will be the natural party of government it can certainly do that that's not the direction I've ever urged on the Tory party you know I I, I want it to recapture its a position as a a natural party of government, and it seems to be moving away from that.
2: Yeah, I mean, what's made the last century a conservative century uh, in the main is because of the historic fissure between the Labour and the Liberal parties a hundred years ago. And that essentially has divided... Uh, the progressive forces, the centre, centre-left, half the population, and that has given an advantage to the Conservative Party. I think the Labour Party, from time to time, has given an additional advantage to the Conservative Party uh, by putting itself, you know, too far left uh, on the political uh, spectrum and it's lost a lot of support uh, as a result. Now, the flip side of that is that when both... Parties, Labour and Liberal, are performing well and uh, and are strong electorally uh, and it's easier for them to exchange votes between them, uh, then tactical voting can kick in uh, in constituencies. And that, of course, is the other uh, half of the pincer movement that Rishi Sunak is facing to his left. He's facing tactical voting uh, between the Liberal, Democrats and Labour uh, because they're joined in their desire to get the uh, Tories out uh, and both are sort of fairly sort of have a moderate profile both led by reasonable uh, leaders etc so it's easy to exchange their votes between them on the other on the other side to his right he's got a sort of a potential split and a siphoning off of his vote uh, to the to reform UK and that is the sort of pincer movement the double whammy uh, that Sunak faces as he goes into the election this year.
4: Polly, would you, if you were, because you it's an innocent bystander in this, what would you, <laughs> the, the different ways that the party, because I, I had a thing pop up on, I think it was like a Facebook memory, uh, that what was it, it, must have been this time in 2015, uh, the Labour Party's briefing, it set up a special unit to deal with the Greens, uh, because the Greens were coming up in the polls in the run-up to the 2015. So, uh, and actually I think 8% or 10% or something of the Labour vote from 2019 is still going to the Greens. So all, both parties have to worry about this, This is a bigger problem for the Toys at the moment.
3: Yeah, and, and it's it's sort of a factor of our choice of electoral system. We have this first-past-the-post system dominated by two parties. And essentially, those, those parties have to become as wide coalitions as they possibly can, while still having a kind of clear identity. Because of course, the voters don't consider life in simple binaries that there's only two answers to every question in fact there's multiple answers to every question uh, and and the voters scatter into all sorts of complicated sort of demographic political and ideological groupings Uh, a political party in that kind of first past the post system is trying to pull those people under a single banner and and ideally scatter the forces that might oppose them Um, Of course, in a different electoral system, in a proportional system, you're much less able to do that because you also don't need to do that. And actually, it's much, in my view, better for the voters because they get to actually vote for the party that best represents what they believe in instead of having to think about first preferences and second preferences and what's my place and, oh, well, if if all this kind of speculation about if Nigel Farage joined the Green Party and then the Liberal Democrats said something nice to Keir Starmer and you're just like, ah, why can't I think about how I want to express my political opinions and and for there to be a party that that champions that i think a lot of people's dissatisfaction with the with the electoral system is that they are forced to homogenize complex opinions and the parties feel the strain of this especially the more sort of democratic they become in terms of being governed by their members that tension between what the members want and the electoral need to to be a container for multiple ways of thinking i, I, I just you know we're we stuck with it it's a terrible system but um it, the best thing about moving to a proportional system is we wouldn't have to have this conversation.
0: Well, we would, because... We <laughs> We'd have so a right.
3: different one about coalition formation. Yes,
0: but we would, but it would be... It, it, it's the same conversation, really, it's which is... Well, it, it Okay.
4: Um, of all the things to fall out about, I knew it was going to be PR. <laughs>
0: no. Um, <laughs> I'm, not here, I'm not here discussing the merits, because clearly there are merits to proportional representation. Polly's outlined what they are, which is you can vote clearly for as it were your faction but our, um you know the, the a smaller group that represents more clearly your view and my experience of it by the way um, when I was involved in smaller parties, was that even then uh, it was remarkable how often you ended up disagreeing <laughs> with your uh, political party. Uh, so, so it's, it's never the it's, SDP. It's, yes, it's never completely satisfying. Yeah. But let's um, let's assume that it's reasonably satisfying or more satisfying than the current system. You are still faced at the end of the day with a decision: if you are a conservative, um, whether you want to have a coalition with Jacob Rees Mogg. That doesn't go away, that decision. Um, and it just puts it off until after the election. It, it makes it um, possible for voters to control then um, which party they vote for, but they lose control of which coalition they enter into, which was actually a lack of control that Liberal Democrat voters really hated uh, in, in 20, um Uh, in 2010, and they sort of punished the Liberal Democrats for losing that. So they gained the advantage of being able to vote for a party and lost control of who the coalition was, whereas at least when you vote now, you kind of know...
2: Yeah this is a completely sort of pointless theoretical discussion because nobody is <laughs> state, proposing, state Matt, nobody nobody is proposing that we move away from our electoral uh, system first oh. past the person well, they any they, they time any, do, don't
3: they? yeah and the Greens. Uh, well but neither quickly. the
2: conservatives or the labor it's not going to happen look the, the, i think we In should the get a second
0: labor term sorry peter can i just press that well, so uh, I, I think you're right, it wouldn't happen at this election. Let's say um, Keir Starmer wins a majority at this election, and the next election, obviously there's a fall off slightly to vote. It doesn't take much for him to be back in the uh, position whereby he has got then a to form a, not a coalition, but he's got a majority, he's got to have confidence and supply. You're saying there's no circumstances then, in which the Labour Party would not offer the Liberal Democrats electoral reform to provide it with confidence and supply. They might,
2: they might offer in extremis, although I doubt it, another rerun of the pr- referendum that we had on the alternative vote system which is not strictly proportional representation uh, and that the liberal democrats extracted from the conservatives as the price for the coalition uh, they then didn't sort of campaign properly in that av referendum they lost it very badly the tories sort of just jumped all over them and it was just a uh, it was just a disaster for them and i don't really think the public uh, are going to be in the mood for revisiting that anytime soon, but I don't rule it out. So, I don't rule it out. The it other do. thing I think we should get back to the politics of this, what? which is basically the politics of Reform UK, which is an anti-immigration. Party. It's why Rishi Sunak is running scared over his Rwanda bill because if he he thinks that if he can just get one poor benighted asylum seeker on a plane, a very expensive plane ticket by the way, uh, to Rwanda, this will sort of see off Reform UK. I think he's deluded. I don't no, think he will because I think that Reform UK it's not just are about chan that. I, they are channeling. It's not just about that. Hold on, let me yeah. make my yeah. point. Sorry, I sorry, think the uh, Reform UK are rather successfully, which is why they've doubled their voting intent. Uh, performance in the polls over the last year, they are channeling genuine public sentiment about immigration. Uh, And that is why uh, Rishi Sunak is running scared uh, on this subject. And by the way, it's a real issue. I mean, for very many people in the country, particularly older white uh, male voters who voted for Brexit, they thought this was the way to deal with the number of people coming into the country. They've now seen that Brexit didn't provide the solution and they're very angry about it and they're taking it out on the Tories. But it's not
3: just Rwanda that he's using to try and kind of show that they're doing something on immigration. They're also targeting a massive source of revenue into this country, which is international students. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, In uh, order to
4: get, try and get some of the numbers Because
3: it's the only number you could you could possibly affect. And so university bankruptcies, who cares about those? Yeah. K- as long K- have has pr- promised
0: to do something about it too, by the way. The only difference between the two of them is he's not actually implementing his policy. He's not yet Prime Minister. But Look, he'll, but he'll have exactly about, this um, problem.
4: On, on the Labour side, I mean, they are holding on to, what, 86% of their vote from 2019 they're losing some to the Greens. Uh, Peter, how big... Well, two questions, I suppose. How big a problem would it be if Jeremy Corbyn launched a party? And how big a problem is, has been the backlash from the left over Keir Starmer's position on what happened in Gaza and his sort of full-throated support initially for uh, the Israel uh, Israel's response? That did upset some people on the left. Is there any possibility of leeching support to whether it's a George Galloway outfit or Jeremy Corbyn outfit to the left?
2: Well, obviously, uh, the far left and George Galloway uh, and people like that are are trying to recruit, mobilise party, people behind them, uh, over what's happening in Gaza, no doubt at all about that. They've always done that with the Palestinian issue. It's a totemic issue uh, for them. Uh, And they have their uh, tactics well worked out. Now, does that translate into a new left uh, party headed by Jeremy Corbyn? I don't think so. Um, Because I think that Jeremy Corbyn has had his moment in the sun, his star has faded, the organisation... That gave him momentum in both senses of the term. The Momentum Named Organisation has subsided and and slunk away. He previously had the support of uh, the biggest trade union, Unite, led by Len McCluskey. I don't see Len McCluskey's uh, successor uh, moving behind the formation of a new uh, party. So I just don't think it's going to happen. If it did, I think it would get nugatory uh, amounts of votes uh, in, in the
4: country. Well, that's fascinating. Well, we'll wait and see. And I suppose at the moment, yeah, you we know, just have to look at the polls, and Keir Starmer is in a very different place to where, you know, he was, what, two years ago, certainly, if not, if not a year ago. Right. Enough questions from me. Uh, let's do some of the questions that you've sent to Win at thetimes.co.uk. Email Win at uh, Darren from Sleepy Wiltshire emailed in saying, Dear panel, great podcast. Keep up the political bants. I bet you hate that phrase, says David. <laughs> Correct. He says, anyway, my question is, the best TV show ever is The West Wing. Is there anything you've been inspired by from the series or taken as an idea from it or a storyline that has actually happened in UK politics? Or more generally, let's talk political... You, are, you, are you fans of The West Wing? I couldn't um, really get into it. Loved The West Wing. I found it a bit soppy and it. slow.
3: I yeah. miss loving The West Wing. Does oh. that make any sense? Uh, like, uh, there's, there's the sort of... The Aaron Sorkin... The, the writer hypothesis, right, which is that everything would be okay if people were just articulate, clever and brave. And and I, I just, I'm sure that in my 20s when I watched it and I would like stay up till two in the morning hoping that CJ would get together with that journalist whose name I've forgotten. And uh, I loved it, I loved wow. it. And, and I fell, I fell for that. And then living in in politics <laughs> eliminated you went to a lib
4: dem. it wasn't bigger than lib Dems wasn't the same lib dem Congress was in Bournemouth that,
3: wasn't quite of, no no but it was i mean especially yeah. obviously the experience of of being government but then the 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 obliteration really of the liberal democrats in 2015 took all of that naivety and optimism <laughs> that i had and it and it crushed it and so it's what's tricky for me is that i i i now when i watch the west wing i, I somehow i it feels like a sparkly golden fantasy and i feel very much more alienated from it maybe because
4: I, 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 I maybe it was a lockdowny thing i thought i mean i've got plenty of time to get into this i just couldn't get it maybe i've just been hanging about politics for too long
3: too cynical yeah that's
0: possible I became friends with Ron Silver, who plays Bruno in the West Wing, oh, uh, and I had this extraordinary evening where i had where I had an evening with Ron Silver and Stockard Channing, who plays Abby and it was sort of felt, I felt like I sort of imagined myself in an episode of the West Wing and then I brought Ron into Parliament, and people were sort of slightly startled at this acerbic uh, campaign manager the thing about um I, Sorkin Sorkin wrote an article about what Obama should do in his election with McCain, and I realised it was terrible political advice. It was a brilliant yeah. script yeah. writing, but it was terrible political advice. <laughs> and um, the reason is because you know normally Sorkin was able to script the other side's response, yeah. uh, but he wasn't
4: able to do that in real life. Peter, are you a fan, or what? Have you got another political show you like?
2: I enjoyed West Wing because it exuded power, and I sort of revelled in it until. The thick of it came along, and then I switched that sort of a terrible sort of parody of new labour with all those sort of hapless ministers <laughs> sort of falling over resign all the time and uh, you and know getting swelling. getting themselves about, into yeah. awful sort of spin capers and spin mistakes and tripping themselves up over there you know, uh, and that sort of rabid, sort of Alastair Campbell-type yeah, figure yeah. in Number 10, <laughs> that controlling completely monster, unrealistic. completely unrealistic. Uh, I l- absolutely loved it. My favourite episode was when one of the more hapless of the ministers went on a factory visit. Do you remember the factory yeah. uh, visit? So... I mean, how many times have we been on factory visits? Well, the other two haven't, but I have. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a real... You know, I'm a real boring. Um And so along... So he goes off uh, and arrives at this sort of factory where he's making a regional visit and he's greeted by this sort of screaming woman in front of all the sort of regional TV cameras, you know, who's a striking care worker. And she bawls at him. Have you ever had to clean up your mother's piss you know do you do you know what it's like and do you know what i'm paid and what are you going to do about it and the ministers are faltering all over the place he gets into the factory and he goes around the factory and he literally can't think of anything to say about this factory i mean factories to this minister all look the same (laughs) (laughs) has <laughs> no idea what they do or how they work so he ends up sort of saying god what wonderful pipes you've got <laughs> I, 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 I mean I have been there I love the episode where
0: where where they where the policy that they're about to announce is nixed by someone in the office on their way and they arrive and they have to make one and somebody comes up with the idea that it must be compulsory <laughs> for everyone to carry a plastic bag yeah. and that really just
4: made me laugh because well, quite that. a lot so, of them so became policy, the uh, spare room database policy so we, McKenzie will have come up with we'll have we've all been there. So um, Well you can email yeah. how to win at the times.co.uk with more questions and uh, your own TV suggestions. Uh, that was How to Win Election. I was Matt Chorley, Daniel Finkstein, Polly McKenzie and Peter Manson. We'll be back next week.